Today we're actually going to be talking about uh, how Laker victories, powdered donuts, and John the Baptist help us understand the good news and how to get ready for it. Are we ready? All right, will you pray with me? God, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, in the waiting and in the watching and the hoping, in the longing and the sorrow and the singing and in the rejoicing. Speak to us, God, by your word in these Advent days and walk with us until the day of your coming. We pray this in Christ's name. So talking about good news, but the trouble is I'm not always sure that we actually agree on what is good news and what isn't. And so like good news to some people isn't always uh, good news to others. And after hurricane uh, devastation in Puerto Rico, there was this White House official who was speaking about the United States' federal response in Puerto Rico, and he actually called it a good news story. I don't know if anybody remembers this, right? And when the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, heard that the federal government had said that this was a good news story, uh, he was a little, he had, he had some strong words uh, in response. And his words were this. He said, when you don't have food for a baby, it's not a good news story. And he actually said, damn it, this is not a good news story. That's what he said. He said, this is a people are dying story, not a good news story. Um, and so, like, I was thinking about it, you know, like, good news to me might not be good news to you, you know, and I was thinking about, what is good news to me at this moment? And I thought about a couple things. Science finding a cure for MS for my mom, that would be good news to me. Uh, coming into $50,000 to help pay for my kid's college tuition, like, that would be good news to me, right? Um, getting an hour on the hammock, that would be good news to me. Laker victories... This is good news to me. Like, we just got two in a row. I mean, Laker fans, pretty exciting. This is the first time this has happened in a couple years. Um, these are things that get me fired up. This is good news to me. And so what's necessarily good news to me may not uh, be good news to you. And so I'm curious. Good news to you right now would be what? Anybody. What would be good news to you? All the fires stop. Yeah, great. Put those darn fires out. Some rain. Right now. Oh my gosh. Well, peace. Yeah, world peace would be good news. What else? What would be good news to you right now? Anyway. Co-worker surgery being successful. Successful surgery for a co-worker, right? Can continue developing great cures for cancer. Yeah, good. Right. Cancers are cured now. Yeah, yeah. They keep, they keep popping up. Right. Anything else? What would be good news to you? Hopefully everyone has something in mind. I'm at a different level. I put Laker victories in an hour and a half. You guys are like, uh, see where we're going. See where we're going here. Um, is there such a thing as universal good news? Right? Is there such a thing? Is there such a news that all of us would shout out, kind of an amen to? Um, news that all of us would find hopeful or transformative or healing? What might good news be to the whole world, right? And so, you know, it often feels like our world has been turned upside down. There's a lot of stuff going on. Hope seems distant. Answers to some of the world's biggest problems seem uh, hard to find. And so, you know, we look at our personal and our family circumstances. They're challenging. The busyness of the season is crazy. Like the mayor of Puerto Rico, right? We may feel like the state of things in the world or in our own lives may it may seem like a people are dying story rather than a good news story. And there was this family, and they took their two kids to these Carlsbad caverns, and when they were deep down into one of the caves, it was so dark that they couldn't see a thing. And they had this 
really young daughter, and she was terrified, and she started to cry. And her older brother said to his sister, he's like, don't worry, like, somebody here knows how to turn the lights on, you know? And so it's like Advent is, we call it a season of light, light entering a dark world. And so in Mark's gospel, where we're going to be today, is going to share with the world the good news of God who was coming to turn the lights back on in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see is, we'll just state it like right up front, that good news is a person. Good news is the person of Jesus Christ. The good news is God taking on flesh in Jesus. And so it's this story of death and resurrection. It's ultimately a story of forgiveness. And so here's the beginning of the good news, of the story of the Son of God, the lights and the hope of the world from Mark 1, 1 to 8. And here it is. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. I still love this cartoon. All right, I just have to show it. Um, let me see if it did it work. I did it, but I don't know if it's this is slow. Uh, here we go. The crowd turned away from John the Baptist, his greatest rival, Floyd the Baptizer, had arrived on the scene like a superstar showing off his new River Jordans. <laughs> Check out those shoes. Wow, I can't get enough of this cartoon. Anyway. <laughs> uh, um, it's like, I do this because it was actually almost a little bit nervous, like thinking about how do you preach... Advent for the fifth straight year, you know, like what's fresh and new and exciting about this now really familiar season for most of us. And so like I usually get so excited to get to the crazy locust eating John the Baptist, because actually I really like him, um, that I gloss right over the first sentence of Mark's gospel. It's like you just boom, you just read it to get to what you think is the good stuff. And Mark starts with the beginning of the good news. I just... I never even looked at that sentence before because it seems like, well, that sentence is just made for the next one. Um, but really, there's something to it. And so uh, the good news, it actually has a beginning. That's what it's saying. The good news has a beginning. And when you think of the word beginning, where does it take you back in the Bible? Anyway. In the beginning. To the beginning. To the very first words, Genesis 1 of the Hebrew Bible, right? Uh, good news begins you know, it says, in the beginning, what? God created. In the beginning, God created. These are the first words. And so, good news begins with God. This is what Mark is saying. Our minds go back to this. Good news begins with God. God creating the world, everything that is. And this age of good news that we get to at the beginning of our New Testament, right? 
is really the beginning of the good news of the Son of God, God becoming a human being in Jesus Christ. And so Mark's kind of trying to remind us that the introduction of Jesus Christ is just as important as the creation of the world. This is what Mark is saying. This is how, what a big deal this is. And I just typically just blow right by that sentence to get to John the Baptist, but that's what we're talking about. That's how important this is. And so there's no good news for us without creation, right? And so Mark might say something to us today like, there's no good news for creation or for you without the person of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of implications to a simple and beautiful idea like this, that from the very beginning of creation, that God had Jesus in mind. From the beginning, God had Jesus in mind for our salvation, for our deliverance. And so, in both the Old and uh, the Old Testament and in Greek literature, when you hear the word good news, what that typically meant was this word that was sent out by messengers after victory in a battle. That was what they called in the, in the world good news, right? But here, um, in other places, there are other forms of good news. And Mark, not really surprisingly, takes his good news straight from Scripture, okay? Right from the prophet Isaiah, who spoke of good news with, as this kind of inbreaking of God's uh, kingdom, this inbreaking of God's salvation and peace, and this idea of release from oppression that God would eventually shower upon his people. And so Mark says that in Jesus, that time has come. That time is now. That age is present. And so Jesus is the fulfillment that the prophets spoke about centuries earlier. He's the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures, the fulfillment of God's incredible plan for salvation. And so in Jesus, this new age has been ushered in. This age needed a herald. It needed a messenger. It needed someone to shout it out so that everybody would hear about this incredible news that's just as important as the creation of the world. It needed someone to get people prepared. It needed someone to help get people ready. And then seemingly just out of nowhere in scripture, John the Baptist appears in the wilderness. Now, he had one job to do. That was prepare people for the coming of Jesus. That's what John's job was. And so for centuries, God had promised Israel deliverance from enemies. And just one kind of empire after another just keeps conquering the Israelites, right? It's to them, this was a people are dying kind of a story, right? The prophets, they had not spoken in centuries. Good news was almost impossible to come by. And then John appears out of nowhere with something that he felt like he needed to share, something that was inside of him that had to make its way out. And he would be anything but silent, right? Anyone here have a loud family member or friend? <laughs> All right. Um, I've talked about this person once before, I think, but we have we have one. Um, our daughter's best friend that we affectionately refer to as our third daughter. Um, we absolutely love her, but when I say she's loud, I mean she's loud. And anytime, like she's one of the most fun people in the world I've ever been around. We love having her over, but anytime she's actually in our house, we we tell her. All right, like we need to use you need to use your inside voice <laughs> because like our ears start hurting because the decibel levels go up so high and everyone's trying to talk over each other because nobody can hear anything anybody's saying. Um, and then we all laugh and then she starts talking quieter. 
when I think about John the Baptist, I think about her. You know, it's like John the Baptist, this is probably a loud guy. He had something to say that was so important. This guy did not have an inside voice, right? Um, and so he makes this appearance in the Judean wilderness. Here's a picture of what it actually looks like, you know. Um, and so the Judean wilderness is actually one of the few things today that you can see and it looks almost exactly like it did a couple thousand years ago. It still looks like this today and it looked like this in, in Jesus' day. And it's this super rocky terrain, deep ravines, almost no vegetation, uh, miles and miles of just complete desolate land. And so today, from what I'm told, when you kind of walk through this area, you might run across a shepherd here or there, or an occasional camel, or this is my favorite, this is no joke, a group of Bedouin tents with satellite dishes. <laughs> How cool would that be to see in that land, you know? Um, and so it's this perfect place for John the Baptist to kind of escape the city. Now, most people only pass through this place to go somewhere else. And in Jesus' day, the people that were here were usually like kind of the nobodies, you know? People that were on the fringes of society, and of course now John the Baptist. And so I looked at it this time, and I was asking myself, like, why the wilderness, you know? This is what I wanted to know personally when I was looking at this. Like, why does John meet out here and not, you know, hang out in Jerusalem where all the people were? And then I started thinking about wilderness in the Bible. And every single time, the things that I could come up with, that the desert in the biblical story is always a place of wandering. It's always a place of testing. And what else is it? It's a place of preparation. The wilderness was always a place of preparation for something else, getting God's people ready for something in the future. And so you look at this, and it's also a place, when you look at the stories of the Bible in the wilderness, it's a place where God's grace was repeatedly given to the Israelites over and over and over again. This is what we see. And so the case is the same here. People from the nearby cities and towns, they're flocking to John the Baptist to the wilderness to be baptized in repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so the world was about to see the salvation of God in Jesus. John's mission, he said, was to get people ready for this. And so how do we do that? How do we get ourselves ready? And John just summarizes the whole message and really with one word. And the word is repentance. And this is actually one of those times where words are important. They, do, they mean something. And so you look at the Greek word for repentance, it means to change change your mind, right? But that word translates a Hebrew word, which means to turn around or to change one's direction. And so when you put those two things together, repentance in the Bible, it's not only to change one's mind, it's also to change your direction or your orientation, right? And so John was convinced that God is about to pay us a visit, right? This is what he's saying. And it would be, uh, you know, with this visit from God would be the arrival of the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom was coming and people had to make a choice. This is what he seems to be saying. The fascinating thing is the choice hasn't changed since this day. Today we're offered the same choice. That repentance is the way that we get ourselves prepared for the coming of the good news. And so we can do one of two things. And this is where the word, I say words are important if you look at that definition we can do one of two things. We can either turn and face it, literally turn and face it, or we can turn our backs to it. This, these are the choices that are available to us. And so John seems to be saying that God's whole new world is coming, and he's inviting us to turn and face it, not to turn our backs on it. 
to prepare ourselves, to get ourselves cleaned up for the visit, to make the necessary changes and preparations in our lives because God was coming. And so John's preaching has this really strong effect. Kind of revival breaks out, and John's popularity was like off the chart, all right? People felt this real deep sense and conviction of their own sin, and they wanted to know, they're coming out to him, they want to know what we do about this. And so John kind of offered them this public bath, baptism. Now, I've heard it described, baptism, I've heard it described as kind of a drowning and a cleansing all at once. Here's, here's what I mean. A drowning to sin and a washing to prepare us for our new life with God. And so there's a parallel here, actually, something that I found for the first time in looking at this with the story of the Exodus. And so God is about to come down from Mount Sinai, right, and be among the people. And in preparation for this, God gives them these specific instructions, and they were... Wash your clothes. Get cleaned up. God is about to come and be among you. And it seems like there may be some, something similar going on here. John the Baptist may be saying the same thing. It's time to get cleaned up to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And so this teaching actually has some practical implications that to turn and face the coming kingdom of good news brought by Jesus, we need to take a good look in the mirror. The remedy for sin, according to John, and anywhere you're going to find in the Bible, is not denying it. It's not explaining it away. And it's not pointing the finger of blame to others. We're freed from it only when we turn to face ourselves for who we really are. And so John is in line with the rest of the writers of Scripture. Like, listen to the proverb, uh, listen to this kind of wisdom saying from the Proverbs. It says, no one who conceals his transgressions will prosper, but the one who confesses, forsakes them, and forsakes them will obtain mercy, right? And so what God seems to be looking for from us is honesty. Honesty about who we are actually helps prepare us for Jesus. John doesn't just say it, but he also models it for us in his actions. If you look closely at this text again, what I was struck with was John's incredible humility like, his popularity was off the charts. Thousands of people are going to hear him preach and be baptized by him. This could easily have gone to his head. Like, he, this guy's a rock star back in this day. But you'd never know it by taking a look at his actions. What does he do? He actually says that he's not even worthy enough to untie Jesus' sandals. That's what John says. The common job of a slave to untie the master's sandals and take off their shoes, John's like, I'm not even worthy to do that job, you know? And here's this rock star guy drawing a lot of attention. And so not only with his words, he's modeling what he's asking from us by his actions. Honesty about our condition. Honesty about who we are. Without honesty and repentance, the good news, it, to me, and when I was thinking about this, it just becomes average news or less than average news. You know, In everything John did, he pointed us to Jesus, whom he said was far greater than himself, who is God's good news for the whole world. Now, when I was a kid, my parents always taught me this. They taught my brother and I to admit our mistakes, right? And they always said this. I'll never forget it. Uh, they always said, it would be better if you mess up. It would be better to tell the truth about it than to lie about it and have, like, the punishment, you know, compounded, Right? And so, as a kid, you know, I can't explain why, but we, we've all, how many of we've heard this before, right? Why don't kids believe it? 
<laughs> like, they don't believe it when we say that. You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't believe it when my parents told me that. Um, and I was like, I was trying to think, I want to solve this problem, you know what I mean? I'm not sure that I have, but I do have an idea. I'm not sure kids believe their parents when they say that, that honesty is the best policy, right? I'm not sure they believe that. Maybe because we don't really believe it, right? This is the only answer I can come up with that works for me. Like, I'm not sure we really believe that honesty is the best policy. I wonder, like, kids are not the only ones who struggle with honesty, right? And so it made me think about this story. I've shared this story one time. It's like one of my absolute favorites. Uh, it was this Saturday morning. My brother and I were kids, and we woke up early, and we would sneak down the stairs and try not to wake my dad up on a Saturday morning because he'd been traveling for work all week, and, like, you know, he had this rule, and, like, don't wake me up on a Saturday morning. Um, and so we got downstairs. We successfully made it past. We didn't wake him up. And on the kitchen counter, there's a box of powdered donuts, right? And, like, this is, we just struck gold. <laughs> and we look at those donuts, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, man, you know what? It's probably not a good idea. Like, I don't know what those are for. They're definitely not mine. Um, and so I kind of go on my way, and we're watching cartoons. My dad uh, wakes up, comes downstairs, walks into the kitchen, opens up this box of donuts, and he just notices that like, there's some donuts missing, you know? Um, and so he calls my brother and I into the kitchen, and he asks us which one of you guys ate the donuts. Both of us, like, adamantly deny eating them. <laughs> my dad gives me the, the ultimatum, right? He says, like, look, it's going to be a lot better off for you. If you just tell me you ate them right now, and just get, we'll get it over with, we'll move on. And still, both of us were like, we did not eat those donuts. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so he just, like, calmly walks away. We keep watching cartoons. He goes off and he does some investigating. And he must have been searching in our rooms, because a short while later, he calls for my brother from the top of the stairs. Um, like, I don't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday, and I remember this day like it was yesterday. <laughs> I love this story, because, like, the first time ever, I was, like, the bad son, the one that always got in trouble, and this time my brother's about to get it. My dad calls him up, and he calls him into his room, and I'm, I'm sneaking up behind, because I'm like, finally, it's not me. Like, this is going to be the greatest day ever. Um, and my dad's like, you know, well, what is this? Like, how do you explain this? And my brother's just, just totally speechless, you know. Um, and when you looked, the powdered sugar crumbs were all over the windowsill, where my brother sat like this, eating the powdered donuts, looking out his window, and the donut crumbs are all over his windowsill, you know. And I'm like, yes! Um, but here's the thing. My dad was right. Like, it would have been better had my brother admitted that he'd eaten them the first time, right? And so you learn these lessons the hard way. Like, we tell our kids this, um, and we all learn We all learn the hard way. But here's, here's what John the Baptist wants us to believe. John the Baptist, what, what he wants is he wants us to actually believe God when John says, prepare yourself to receive God's greatest gift. We do this with repentance, with honesty, that when we confess that we're far from perfect, God says we will obtain mercy. God wants us to believe this, right? Now, not have to learn this the hard way later. Believe this now. And so the good news is 
that God offers help to those who are willing to change, those who are willing to turn around, those who are willing to face Jesus, to face the coming kingdom. And it's like, when I think about this, I'm just like, sometimes the simplest things are by far the best. Sometimes we make it things more complicated than they need to be. And it's like the simplest thing I thought about this week may be the most profound, that the gospel appears in a person. That's it. The gospel appears in a person. The gospel is a person. Sure, we could expand on this. We could talk about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and we will at times. But today, maybe we can just let this simple good news, let it sink in. That the world is desperate for good news. The gospel of good news that Mark is just beginning to share about is Jesus. And so many people have said, maybe you've heard this before, that you can substitute the word gospel with the words Jesus Christ. Try it, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ. What is the good news? The good news is Jesus Christ, right? And like I said, sometimes the simplest things are the deepest and most meaningful. And so we do well to humbly follow in John's footsteps. We refuse to shine the light upon ourselves, because if John the Baptist isn't worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet, neither are we, right? And so I wonder if maybe we could hear God say something like the following to each of us today. I know that life is hard. I know that it oftentimes feels like a people are dying story, not a good news story. But then we remember, God might say, but I love you so much, I love the world so much that I'm sending good news in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ, so that this people are dying story really, truly becomes a good news story. And so from the very beginning of time, God had Jesus in mind. And John simply reminds us to turn around and to face him. You join me in prayer. Loving God and Jesus, you have come to be among us in order to become good news for the whole world. God, we're thankful for all those people in our lives who, like John the Baptist, point us to Jesus, your son. God, help us to get cleaned up. Help us to turn and face your kingdom again this Christmas season. And may we, in word and in acts of loving service, point others to the good news who is Jesus himself. Amen. Amen.